Welcome to Gov Actually, the podcast about how government works. How it actually works. I'm Dan Tangerlini, Chief Financial Officer of the Emerson Collective, and this is the FedScoop Radio Network. And I'm Danny Werfel from the Boston Consulting Group. We launched this pod to try to get beyond the personalities and the politics. Right. We want to talk about how things actually get done in the government, the people who do it, and the challenges they face. So let's talk. So Danny, we're back, and uh, this is the uh, movie episode of uh, Gov. Gov actually, it used to be. It is the it movie used episode. To be. No, it really isn't. But um, we were just talking about how I've actually had the opportunity, and maybe this is why we haven't taped any Gov actually episodes in a while, because I went to a couple movies. And you haven't done that in a while. I haven't done that. Have you gone to many movies? Uh, period. I go. I'm a movie guy, as You're we've a movie talked guy. about. Okay, right. Although. More likely to watch a movie I've seen 12 times on cable than go to the movies. I'm, I'm not sure the 17 listeners tune in for the Rotten Tomatoes thing <laughs> here, but uh, I did see Bohemian Rhapsody, and I have to say that that brought back some very interesting memories of and, the 80s. And you give it how many oh, I, How I, many Freddie Mercury's? I, I don't know. Five? How many's the most? Right? Because it was great. Uh, yeah. It was great? It was great. It was really fascinating to just be exposed to that music again the whole the story i like the, the movies where they tell the story behind it seems like, like the, the 80s doors. was yeah. like a long time ago isn't that weird yeah. yeah it seems like it was i don't know 40 years ago or something yeah, i think movie. about that from the perspective of my kids so like and i always think about it through the lens of baseball for some reason so like when we were kids uh growing up like george brett was like one of the better players in baseball and history was like Mickey Mantle was big in my you know and that felt like a really long time ago when I was a kid but now for our kids for them George Brett is as far away if not further away in time as Mickey Mantle was for us it's funny and you see like you see like film from back then and it's not like black and white film from like when my parents right. were young but it's this color it still looks that's weird. weirdly yeah it's weirdly it, it's practically black and white yeah, it is. Well, we are we are old. So you know what also feels like a long time ago? What? Uh, when in when the we last first, did a Gov Actually episode? Well, certainly that. Certainly that. The price um, of gas was 98 cents a gallon the last time we did an episode. Really? Yeah, probably. <laughs> um, uh, was uh, when the first term, midterms, the Obama administration, when, when the administration famously got the shellacking in the, the midterm election, election. 2010. And, the Tea uh, Party. Exactly. And and all those new, that new Congress was coming in, and the whole sudden focus of the administration turned to this kind of doom-like uh-oh in terms of what was going to happen with, with hearings, with with subpoenas, with... Yeah, it's, yeah, it's very similar feel. I mean, it was there was two parts to it. There was, like, is the legislative agenda dead or or now stalled in a very significant way and the other was the sense that uh, hearings were going to tick up significantly and again similar to right now the administration was two years in and, uh, and there wasn't um, experience yet you know, hadn't hadn't gotten our sea legs under us and I was you know in the even in the civil servant or the political ranks of uh, of doing a string of hearings with our leadership which is a can be quite a disruptive, it's important function, of course, but if you're a federal agency and you go from a period of time where you're having maybe one hearing every two or three weeks, 
or to multiple hearings every week, it's a lot of work. That's a lot of writing testimony, clearing testimony, dealing with the Q's and A's. Maybe we should talk about tips and uh, yeah, I just, about I just, how to deal with so what's I was, coming. I was at the Treasury Department when, yeah. when that um, happened, and so there was all this kind of post-TARP, post-Recovery Act um, uh, kind of fervor built up, and so the opportunity to then drag the secretary, Secretary Geithner, up to the hill yeah. um, was just too too lovely an opportunity. I, I remember he turned 50 in the third year of the of the first term of the administration, and we celebrated his 50th birthday and 50th hearing roughly at the same time. <laughs> 50th. Oh, God. And so, 50th hearing. That's, I mean, I don't, and I would venture to say a lot of the political officials today haven't, haven't done I, 50 haven't, haven't gotten to double digits yeah. yet. I may, I, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. But I just, I feel like, you know, when you have uh, the same party in the House, Senate, and the White House, it's just, it's just a slower pace. And I, you, you already, I mean, it's just inevitable. And I think everybody realizes that the House is going to have a ton of hearings next year. Um, and again, going back to my earlier point, I'm not saying that hearings are a bad thing or a good thing. They're part of the process and they're part of what, how our government works. But they can be extraordinarily disruptive to your agency and your operations and your day-to-day -day job, especially if you work in the headquarters part of the agency or directly support someone who's been called to testify. My recollection, whether I was testifying or whether I was supporting someone to testify, it's like once we were in like there's a hearing coming mode, it's almost, I felt like I was back in college and right. there's a final coming up. Right. And, it's, I've, and that's my focus. And like my office turned upside down. It's like a final that was televised, though. Yeah, televised <laughs> final, yes. But I mean like everything's – it's like suddenly you have a whole slew of new assignments on your desk that feel very high stakes – and it's very stressful. You have to, again, you have to write a testimony. You have to get it cleared. You have to prep either yourself or the the, the witness. You have to well, let's, uh, prep let's, Q's and A's. Let's talk about that a little bit because all those things are, are worth kind of you know pulling apart a little more. And I know there are a lot of listeners who've already who we're probably triggering some kind of uh, some bad memories here yeah. and so you know maybe this is a, I just want to make sure before we proceed that we give a trigger warning to anyone who's had to work on oversight hearings before that that's what we're going to talk about and if that yes. you know if that if that brings back bad memories turn, you can, turn the channel you can turn it's the channel it's about to get ugly yeah in it's here. about to get <laughs> ugly in here because we're going to talk about questions for record and and uh, clearance of testimony so yes um, and stressed out policy officials who are justifiably on edge for what's about to happen because it's really a high-risk, limited reward to so, go up and maybe no reward. But, but maybe pull that apart a little bit too. What, what do you think the nature of the risk is for going up to hearing? People say, well, you go up, you answer some questions, you, you know, as long as you answer them truthfully, how, how bad could it be? Well, that's that's really not true at all. <laughs> it can be bad. I mean, look, I, what did I stress about? Um, I think the number, I mean, people will stress about different things. I think the number one thing I stressed about, and it was a long list, but the number one was being, being caught uh, ignorant of a question that I should know the answer to or mm -hmm. a topic or subject matter. 
you know, because in, you, you go up there and there's, there's any different myriads of different questions they could ask and different areas they can go into. And there's expectation as the policy official in charge of an area that you, that you know everything, not just out to the integer, but out to the fifth or sixth decimal point. And if you don't know the answer, yes, you can say, well, let me get back to you. And if, sometimes that's hard to do in the moment. Um, depending on how the questions are coming across. But that was my, one of, we'll get into some of my other fears, uh, but that was one of my bigger fears, that I would be humiliated by not knowing something that I should have known. Well, there's, there's a spinoff fear for that, from that that I'll get to in a second. But to that point, you are going up to an exam for which there's no study guide because they can pretty much ask you whatever they want. Yeah. Um, and I remember bringing a big big binders in preparation for an appropriation hearing for Secretary Geithner. And he very um, nicely spent a lot of time with me going through them. And then at the end, he said, you realize they're not going to ask me about any of this stuff. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, I yeah. said, wait a minute, it's an appropriations hearing. He's like, okay. Yeah. And he went up there. There was one question about the IRS budget. And then after that, it was all about you know, um, currency in um, Zaire and, you know, the GDP. And <laughs> this is for Geithner? Yeah, this but is he's for so uh, That's the thing. If you're super intelligent, there's no, you know, you, you, you probably know some of the, you know, you know kind of a base no amount of knowledge um, to, to get by. Here, here's, but here's another thing that I'll give you a second fear that I had. In addition to not being prepared for a question and, and, and not looking like I had my hands correctly on all the parts of the job. It's also kind of getting caught in the answer to a question where you just seem foolish, overly bureaucratic, or just don't have the right answer. And it's just one of these daily show moments, you know, where like they're showing you, the congressman is asking an extremely reasonable and straightforward question that the American people should have an answer to, you know, should have, should expect an answer to. And you sound like an idiot because you can't articulate the answer because, and I'll give you a, a, the example of this. Obviously, I'm starting to have the post-traumatic stress disorder. But <laughs> I was testifying I before Senator Coburn. Right. And he asked... Why can't the U.S. government and why can't o OMB, the Office of Management Budget, produce a comprehensive list of federal programs? Like, do we have the definitive list? Seems like a reasonable question. It's such Danny. a reasonable question. And I beg nobody to go back and find the tape of me trying to answer it. Because it's a really hard, because anything other than, of course we can, Senator, is a terrible answer. And the reality is. What was wrong with, of course we can, Senator? Because we couldn't. Mm. We didn't have the ability, and he and he knew it. The staff knew it. Right. In fact, they were introducing in in one of the GPRA or uh, uh, modernization or amendments. There was a requirement put in place for for OMB to develop a program inventory because at that point, and this is probably I don't know two thousand six or seven maybe when this hearing is happening, we couldn't do it. And anyway, I'm, I'm and is and isn't this one of the reasons why? Uh, just answering truthfully and honestly is difficult in a hearing because if you were you knew he had that legislation or potentially he would have mentioned, hey, I've got this legislation that would require it, you may or may not, the, the administration may have taken a position against it for whatever reason, or the administration may have not taken any position on it. And yeah. so it's not your job at the hearing to 
A, go against the administration's position, or B, create an administration position. Yeah, yeah. But there, and there, and there, and there are all these things, all these types of questions that can be asked, which are kind of like the, the realities of government that just can stymie you. Like if someone, wouldn't it surprise you if, you, let's say you were at GSA, right? And you said, some, the Congress sent a letter that said, how many IT systems do you run at GSA? And you bring your leadership together and they're like, well, you know, it depends on what the definition of an IT system, if you define it this way, then, you know, we could come up with a number maybe, but we'd have to run an inventory. If we define it that way, then it's impossible to know because there's all these shadow systems out there that people don't report. And so, and then you go up to testify and someone asks, you're the administrator of GSA, how many information technology systems do you have in your organization? Well, Senator or Congressman. And then if you give me a... It's like anything but like it's 147, sir. And that's the only acceptable answer. Yes, but that answer then, that comes back to the jeopardy I wanted to mention before. That jeopardy is that you have now testified under oath in front of Congress that it's 147. I know. This is what I was getting at. And if it's 146, you've lied. Yes. And if it's 148 or more, you've lied to Congress. Yes. So this is the other – so that's the other fear that there are traps you can fall into. And that question that I mentioned from Senator Coburn, where um, where he asked why the administration can't, or, you know, he worded it in a way that was extra humiliating the way he, you know, it's like, can you, no, why not? You know, he, whatever, where, however it played out. We had practiced that. We had done something called a murder board, which we should talk about in mm-hmm. terms of prep. And I had practiced that multiple times, and I still embarrassed myself I feel the way I answer that question and I remember it because it was one of these moments where I'm like gosh I'm gonna end up on the daily show because I just sound stupid right now um luckily you were on c-span three and nobody and they were talking about lists of federal programs so even the daily show I know but you know you but had that, to have an answer to it epically bad other key point other key point you're raising which is if you're testifying in a hearing in your own head this is this is it, right? right. You're, the cameras are on, and might be C-SPAN three, and it might not even. It might be just House.gov, right. you know, backslash yeah, a million the, the different committee things here, yes, to try exactly. to find this hearing is like a needle in a haystack on the internet. Um, but you know, but but the reality is, it's a matter of public record, and it's there forever. And there's no, and I've watched so, the Daily so Show our, a lot, and they'll our, pull random. Our our listeners could actually go and see this then, if you could find it, probably. What yeah. committee was it? It was House, no, it was Senate Government Oversight. Um, Carper's committee. Was yeah, but I can't operations? remember. I actually can't remember who, which. Uh, it was it was at a time when Carper and Coburn yeah. were either uh, chair they and were ranking, switching. Yeah, yeah. and I can't remember. I actually don't remember what year I think, it was. I think we've given people enough hints to yes, go find it. Yes, you're going to tweet <laughs> out a link of me stammering. Yes, maybe we'll talk to Billy about doing that linking to yeah. it in the Well, in I have other, other embarrassing moments. Here's another okay. example well, I'm glad of what could go wrong. Are we helping with this? Yeah, sometimes this when you talk about it, you get it out and you very can no ther- longer carry it around. Very That's therapeutic. Good. Okay. Um, I'm glad we could help. How much do you charge? No, I, I, <laughs> and will insurance cover it? <laughs> That's a whole other session. That's a whole other. Yeah, <laughs> that we could talk about healthcare another one, or maybe yeah. we can't. Um, another moment is when you have a, a, a member of Congress who's just not letting you answer, and just 
you know. What do you mean, Mr. Werfel? Yeah, Just answer the yes yeah, or no, exactly, Mr. Werfel. Exactly. Yes or no. You, how many systems do you have? Yes or no. Well, if you were the one, <laughs> I, I, so I developed this. Uh, if you, if you, you're if, using my time, Mr. Werfel. Yeah. If you watch <laughs> any of my uh, IRS hearings, uh, you'll see that I relied in a lot of the questioning on this verbal cue up. If you would allow, if you would allow, I answer the questions, Mr. Werfel. I ask the questions. Well, you I, answer. I the think <laughs> at one point. I use I do the if you would allow because I have had previous experiences where members of Congress were were interrupting, and so I started this habit. And then I remember at one point I was testifying in the IRS, and I started with if you would allow, and the member of Congress was like, "What do you mean if I would allow? I, I haven't interrupted you yeah. yet." You know? <laughs> but I would I would always say that. Right. That's but that's another thing that you know just kind of feels stressful if you're asked a question. And the member of Congress keeps interrupting you before you can ever give a full answer and starts throwing you off your game. How do you deal with that? And you start to feel really small in the moment, and it can just kind of throw your concentration off. And so losing your concentration, losing your focus, and then, you know, ultimately it's, it's, it's what, you know, it's, it's being embarrassed, it's saying the wrong thing, opening your, you know, and, and fearing that you're potentially opening yourself up to perjury when you really just made a mistake. Um, all of this stuff is what creates the stress and what creates the, the requirement for many policy officials to have a super high bar for their prep. Like preparation becomes a big thing. And if, and if you have a policy official who hasn't testified a lot and is not yet comfortable and kind of understands and knows how to hit the curveballs that are coming, the amount of prep they're going to need and demand is going to be higher and therefore it's going to be a fairly disruptive to your day-to-day. And so that goes back to the what's in store for you as your policy officials start getting, you know, multiple uh, oversight hearings, which is uh, likely going to start in the spring. Now, there's the there's just the, the basic hearings, which is, um, you know, things like the Appropriations Committee uh, hearing where they, they had, you know, they were able to compel Geithner to come, so they had him. So they ask the fig leaf appropriations question about the largest budget outline item and then immediately turn to yeah. all the policy issues that they're dying to um, uh, talk to him about. Uh, what By happened? the way, I'm going to raise the level of geekness of this sure. podcast. I actually have in my head like favorite hearings, favorite hearing moments, and Geithner is involved in one of my favorite hearings, which is – and if you can find it, we'll try to maybe tweet out the link to it. It was he had already essentially announced he was leaving, and he had to go up and do a budget hearing before House Budget. I think Paul Ryan was chairing, and Geithner did he like grab the mic from the desk and drop was, it? He first of all he was done. Like I'm right. done. I'm leaving. This is probably my last hearing, and I'm no longer like gonna, you know, play the good soldier here. And he was. Uh, you know, it's a little sarcastic, fighting back, just kind of just uh, essentially his mood, his, his, his attitude during the hearing was, you, this is ridiculous. These questions are ridiculous. You're acting ridiculous. And it's just, it's an amazing hearing to watch. Um, it, I think so. It's Geithner's last hearing before the House Budget Committee. Someone on their way out who's been through a million of these hearings before, and it's just like... Are you saying that you should, that people should channel that? No, yeah. it's just entertaining. <laughs> okay. okay. I, so I, your good point, I want to clarify. Don't don't copy that, Ch- but 
watch it for entertaining purposes. Right. And also note that, yes, he was on his way out, but this guy didn't fall. I mean, he, he was combative in the hearing right. and fairly sarcastic during the hearing, uh, is my recollection. Um, uh, always, but, but and, and in point, this is what I like about the hearing too, like schooling some of the members of Congress on the way the calculations work, on the economy, on the budget. So, so sharp and mm-hmm. just, just so smart. So when you have that combination of the witness knowing more than the members of Congress about the content of the question that they're asking and kind of throwing some sarcasm and flair into it, it's very entertaining. Well, and I think that that's... But not to be copied. <laughs> but that's part of the issue is that I think that the um, the hearing is actually more theater and entertainment than often work. Yes. Because there, there's there's no one there who's actually showing up and saying... I'm here to be convinced of a point of view or not. Yeah. They're there to really grab their several minutes on uh, C-SPAN, a- uh, abs- get but- your pull-out quote for you know Fox or CNN. You're exactly. It's funny. Th- think the same way. I uh, did a guest lecture for Duke University at one point and uh, talked about my experience at the IRS and the syllabus for that uh, session was uh, several articles on the IRS uh, scandal and a series of YouTube clips of me testifying and getting beat up. Um, and one, and I, so I presented and one of the students asked, in fact, several of the students, it was a kind of thematic question. It's like, why didn't you fight back harder? The, the members of Congress were really attacking you in some way, in, in many ways personally, and saying things that were very um, incendiary to, to you and about you. Why didn't you fight back? And my answer was because if I fight back and create more drama and theater, then, then the moment moves from C-SPAN to CNN. Mm. But if I stay within myself and say, well, thank you for that question. Let me do my best to answer that question. I understand your frustration. I understand the frustration that you're sharing on behalf of your constituents. Let me see if I can get to this. You know, very boring, methodical, disciplined. It stays on CNN. If, I'm, if I start to melt down and get combative, now you've got theater and now you raise the likelihood of the issue being higher profile. And it, you don't win in those situations. Like the, 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 the guy or the gal sitting up on the dais yelling at you, you behind the witness table um, getting yelled at, that, I mean, almost always, 99 times out of 100, looks worse for you and the agency and the workforce you're representing than it does for the member of, of Congress that's, that's holding you to, to task and yelling at you. So in my, you know, keeping it on C-SPAN was, was part of the objective. And that meant kept keeping the temperature down. So if you, if you think of a hearing as a, as a negotiation, a form of negotiation, my negotiations professor said you always have to think about what the party's equities are. And in the case of the elected official, the equities are appealing to their, you know, their core constituency and their voters. So they're there to yeah. try to demonstrate their oversight prowess and capability. Maybe they're partisan bona fides. They're there to uh, score points back home, score points within their caucus, score points within the committee. They're constantly fighting for that position. You as the agency head, though, you have one constituent, and that's the the president, that's the administration. You have from that then other constituents, you know, your agency, the employees, your, you know, the broader administration agenda. 
But for the most part, you're really there to get chewed on a little bit. You're there to protect the administration position and priorities, protect the administration direction, not cut any new ground. You know, it's very seldom are you sent up there like, okay, now's the time to announce something. You don't announce things at hearings. Yes. And uh, and so it's a it's a it is by definition a position where all you're playing is defense. Yeah. And and it's it's both on same parties. Like like I was like I I was I I testified for the Bush administration. Mm-hmm. I testified for the Obama administration. And the toughest hearing I ever had was not when I was at the IRS, but when I was at OMB testifying, and it was a Democrat who was the toughest person on me. And it was the 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 esteemed congresswoman from the District of Columbia. Excellent. She's tough on everyone. Oh, my yeah, gosh. Yeah. It doesn't that matter. was awful. Yeah. That yeah. was so bad that I needed consoling when I got back to <laughs> OMB. And I mean, you know who came to console me? Now, this is like really inside, but David Hahn at OMB wow. was one of the people who came okay. to. That's how bad it was. Wow. David felt he needed. Wow. And if you, I, we're getting really deep, but this is not. You know, well, David's listening, so he'll. Yeah, David's he'll, listening. He'll, and yeah. people who know him will understand why yeah. that's even remotely amusing. <laughs> um, uh, but that's that's the point: is that it's uh, it's not those equities aren't partisan equities; they're equities related to that position. Yeah, yeah, and part and so. As, as we as we head into the break, one one other thought that I have is, at some point I realized how 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 much I wanted to and how important it is to embrace the moment of of testifying as something that you're part of this amazing history. And even if you're going to get your butt kicked up there, as you're driving up to Capitol Hill and you see the dome in the distance and you're and you're riding up there, know that generations of of, of executive branch officials before you have gone up there and got their, their butt kicked as well. And you're, you're part of a legacy and a family, and you're part of this process. And sometimes it's infuriating and, 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 and annoying, uh, but it is the process that uh, it is America. It is our government. And at the end of the day, I, I've, I was proud to be a part of it, even when I was getting my butt kicked. Yeah, I, I, think, I think now that I think about it, the, I, I would like to, should I have the opportunity again, I'd like to talk to a soccer goalie about how they prep for a game because that's probably what it's closest to. Yeah. Well, let's talk about prep when we get back and sure. get and break down a little bit more in terms of what are the different uh, things that as a policy official you should be doing and as an as a as a workforce supporting that policy official what you should be doing. All right. Very good. Gov actually is brought to you by the good folks at the FedScoop Radio Network. Be sure to check out what is happening on the forefront of government technology innovation at FedScoop as well as the most important issues facing cybersecurity professionals at CyberScoop. GovActually is also supported by the Boston Consulting Group and the Center for Public Impact. All right, Danny, we're back, and this is the exciting half of uh, this GovActually because we're going to talk about uh, preparing process, for the hearing, process, paperwork, and, and the word subpoena. Dotting I's and word subpoena T's. might get used. Subpoena. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, trigger warning. One of the hardest words trigger to warning. spell. Can you yes. spell subpoena? The word subpoena might be used later okay. in this episode. Yikes. Yikes. So, um, and uh, we have a garbage truck in the background. It sounds like a war, go- a war exactly. zone. Exactly right. I think it's actually good background music for yeah, this part. For a hearing exactly. with what sounds like explosions in the distance. Exactly it right. And you've got to steal yourself for, for the battle. Yes. Yes. you got to be prepared. So how does, how does one prepare? 
Well, I mean, first of all, there's a there's a uh, an art to uh, to to both drafting a testimony and uh, and and responding both in writing and verbally to to questions. Um, and you know, it's 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 a balancing act. As you know, you you want to answer that if you want to answer the questions that's been asked of you in the scope of the hearing you don't want to go too far and delve into other areas and kind of open the scope of of the of the hearing too broadly you don't want to overpromise you don't want to underpromise there's you know hearing testimonies from the executive branch and the way in which questions are responded to there's a certain rhythm and cadence to them and um, once you get the knack for it it it's almost like skiing like once you like cross that path like oh i get this now that's how i felt and i got to a point especially when i was preparing policy officials earlier in my career where i was like give me the question i got i got the answer and it's like this mix of 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 enough content to be responsive um and some framing but also trying to wall off um the 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 question from going in a myriad of different directions and becoming a fishing expedition as well. So there's there's some again art. So and you're science trying to say it. try to avoid saying anything interesting that might catch their attention and lead to a follow up. You, I mean, yeah, you want to be responsive to the 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 question. You want to express commitment to the issue that they're describing. But you also don't want to miss the opportunity to, um, it's so funny. <laughs> it just gets louder. Yeah, it gets, it gets louder. You don't want to miss the opportunity to answer a direct question that's asked of you as well. Like if there, if there's softball gets thrown up and you can answer the question yes, no, or you can answer the question with the numbers we were describing in the first segment. I mean, that's a, you know, you don't want your entire, the entire footprint of your testimony to feel evasive. You want it to be responsive, but you also want it to be responsive in a way that limits the inquiry to the topic that's being asked. And so it's that's finding that right balance is is key. Do you do you feel like using non-declarative statements like uh, as far as I know or roughly or as I understand it, so that you're not caught with a? It's critical. It's critical. I mean, I mean, and there are except there are these moments where there are definitive yes or no answers, and if there are, uh, and and the topic is relatively benign, you should. Uh, and, and, and it actually doesn't need further explanation, but there are moments where the question, there's a yes or no question presented and it requires a, either the premise of the question is flawed or there is a yes or no answer, but it requires a lot of explanation to place that yes or no into context. And, and yeah, and, 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 if, and if there are questions where you're uncertain, you know, um, you say not to my understanding, you know, no employee, of this organization has violated that important rule that you just announced, to my understanding. To my understanding, no one in my office has done the thing that you've just recommended. But, you know, you can't fully know. You're not keeping track of everyone's every movement. So so, that, so it's actually truthful to say to my – so certain questions it's truthful to say to my understanding versus to say definitively. You know, and that's that's something that um, you know. So, for example, uh, Mr. Tangerlini, is any was anyone uh, in your front office uh, at that Las Vegas conference that hasn't previously been disclosed to us? And you say, 
I can assure you that everyone in my in my office. So that's one strategy. I and mean, then it, if you say that definitively, other, other, and then someone comes to you later, like, "Ooh, boss, I, you know, right, right. we forgot so the, one the, name." The other strategy I've seen people deploy is to just start talking and filibustering, knowing that there's a clock for each member about you know we've covered the fact that the conference was unacceptable. You know, just yes. pivot pivot off the direct question into a broader subject of general agreement. Yes. It's actually where uh, I've, I've, I think I've brought this up in the podcast before. I've often been accused of being loquacious, uh, wordy, verbose. I'm doing it now. Uh, can I get a word in? <laughs> no, yeah. and, uh, and, and when you're in a meeting. Just me- answer the question. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> when you're in a meeting, uh, in day-to-day life, you know, I've often have tried to get better at shaving 20% of my words down, having more, uh, being more pithy and more direct. But in a hearing, my verbosity actually is a benefit. It kind of works. It works. Right. Because it does um, eat up clock and uh, limit, again, the, the, the many different directions that the hearing might go, because one of your goals as a witness is to keep the hearing within the scope. And, 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 and if a good hearing, in my opinion, is getting deep into content on the topic that they're actually asking about, because that's actually what, what it, we should be doing versus keeping everything at the talking point level but and I, making it more flashy but, and less substantive. Right, but I could see how, I mean, you can... I can understand why it contributes to people's cynicism, um, this idea that, you know, that guy asked a very pretty straightforward question and, and that other guy didn't respond at all. They started talking about, uh, you know, the price of tea in China. Yeah. And basically to run out the clock and move on to the next person on the dais. Um, yeah. Well, like, let's just you to make it real. Like an example might be, let's say you're testifying because an inspector general report revealed fraud in public housing. Mm-hmm. And you're a HUD official testifying on this, um, and you and you want to explain that the methodology of that inspector general report um, has to really be understood to place the fraud in context, and to really understand all the important things HUD has actually done. Do you think you're doing that in a hearing? That. Well, but if the topic of the hearing is that, that my goal as the witness yeah. is to get into the is to get into the weeds. I mean, I have a couple of goals. One is I want to express this is an important issue. And we are, uh, it's, a, it's a top priority, and we are investing effort, resources, and times into, into fraud prevention. We take it very seriously. We're appalled right. by it. Right. And, and, and we agree. We have to be held accountable for it, and, and the program can't be deemed successful. Isn't that essentially your answer to every question at, from this point forward for the rest of that hearing? Well, I also think that if there's an opportunity to, um, to, uh, to get deeper into, I mean, uh, the choice between going deeper into kind of understanding the inspector general's methodology and pulling back the onion layers on it versus venturing into a whole set of other topics, I'd choose to, uh, to, go, to go a bit deeper. Um, and again, that's keeping, that's keeping the issue on C-SPAN. As long as it's not coming across as evasive mm-hmm. and it's not coming across as, uh, you know, a bureaucratic doublespeak. But if you're well prepared and you really understand it, then, then they're just interrupting your very mathematical, ac- you know, uh, thorough explanation. That, well, let me, let me tell you something. Uh, let, me, let me offer this to you, Congressman. That Inspector General report 
actually had four parts to its methodology. And if you'll allow, I want to really talk about the third part oh, of the if methodology. You'll allow, if I, if I, you'll I, allow, see, see what, what you did this? there, yeah. So I'm, it's not like, you know, I'm actually getting into the substance and rolling right. up sleeves. And if you're going to pull me back to the talking right. point, fine, but I, I'll have that battle with you. I'll be the guy who's trying to explain the un, in a very methodical way. You be the person that's trying to bring it back to the talking point level. I'm fine to have that back and forth mm-hmm. with you. Mm-hmm. So that's and and by the way, all of this can be practiced and played out in what we call a murder board, which I mentioned in the first segment. Right. Which is all you should always prepare for a hearing with a with it's a terrible uh, term, murder board, but it's really right. a mock hearing. It's a it's a great opportunity also for your staff. To, to, to take out their frustrations on you. Because so, it's like, when I was, t- like, with, during the Obama administration, who gets to be Rand Paul? I want to be Rand uh, Paul. Uh, <laughs> and they can come after me and take out their frustrations on me. But your staff surrounds you in a conference room at a table, and they pretend to be different members of the hearing, of the committee, and they lob questions at you, and you answer. And you can either try to, like, make it, like, I'm going to give a, my full five-minute answer, and then you can critique it afterwards. Or you can stop in the middle and say, like, oh, that was that opening line was terrible. Let me re- try that again. But that's where you want to get all of that stuff out and make all your mistakes and say it all the wrong way so that when you get into the hearing, you, you can say it the right way. And typically, your staff is more informed <laughs> about the issues and can ask tougher questions than Congress. So it's almost well, like, Well, and yeah. that was the thing. And every, every time I did it, I, I can't count more than one or two questions that they ever asked me that I ever got asked. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. That's the thing. Or or even in your briefing book, right? Right, right. They're so good at, uh, you know, if you, if you have if you have that, you have all that, you're, you're that thoroughly prepared, it's a good place to be. What I also, um, you know, it's not just the staff of the agency that's preparing the person testifying. It's the staff of the committee that's preparing the um the committee members who are going to be um, uh, uh, asking you questions. And sometimes I'm struck by how um, how ill-prepared sometimes yeah. the questioner is. They're, they've got a question in front of them that they're supposed to be asking, but they don't understand the context. Yeah. And, and sometimes I, I remember going through the looking glass where – I was answering the question directly. They didn't quite understand the question they were asking, so they, they had no idea what the answer meant. Yeah, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, right? Well, it got into a very heated kind of oh. oppositional debate, and oh. I was like, how do I how do I yeah. back my way out of this? That's alley? the other, like, we talk about, like, hypotheticals. How do you answer, handle a hypothetical? Because just the flat out, I don't do hypotheticals. Mm-hmm. You know, already now you're the evasive. Right. But so I got myself How at do you times, handle hypotheticals? I used to, I, you know, this is a, a, a judgment. I used to venture into the hypothetical a bit, mm-hmm. try, to, try to qualify, try to offer that my, let me answer the question in, in, in some high level ways. But if I'm really going to get in depth on the hypothetical, then what I want is an opportunity to consult with my staff and get you a more thorough answer to a very specific set of facts and circumstances. And anyway, you're the commissioner of the IRS. You're telling me the person in charge of our tax system can't answer this very basic example question. You know, so it's, it's, either way, you're going to get stuck in, in, a, in a heated, but it's how you present and say, you're right, but this is the type of question. If it hit me 
uh, if it hits my desk in day to day, I'm going to surround myself with the smartest people in the IRS to help answer that question. I'd like to give that same courtesy to you. You know, just so stuff like that. I so kind of, but but not being completely non-responsive. I might offer some some high-level points, uh, not delve deeper into the hypothetical, but promise to later with my staff. So something like that. So let's say um, let's let's talk about the the hearing going from traditional straightforward oversight. Yeah. To investigation. Mm -hmm. um, and I know you had experience with that at the IRS. I did at GSA. Um, my first couple of days when I got there, I was hit with a subpoena for 50,000 documents. Yeah. From the um, from the House Government Oversight Committee. Yeah. Uh, to produce to be produced in 48 hours. Yeah. Um, essentially a, a data scrape of all our emails. Yeah. Same thing. And uh, not knowing at all what would be in them, yeah. Some of it was done purely to see what was in them, yeah, and what kind of fun could be had from that. And how do you prepare for a hearing for which you have no idea what actually you know the um, the committee has in the way of information? First of all, you want to try to prevent a subpoena from ever coming, and it might come just because it's the it's the political reality. But you know, we would advance. You know, I would talk to them to the to the to the committee chair, the uh, whoever's in charge or the staff, and say, "Look, we are. There's no need for a subpoena. I am. We're doing everything we can to get every document you yeah, ask for." Yeah, but sometimes the subpoena is part of the 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 theater. The theater, I'm, yeah. absolutely. But I'm just saying, and it, and it reminds me of the other point, which is, and this this might be from an old bygone era, but I had a, a boss back in the uh, Bush administration days who, before every hearing, would reach out and either have an in-person meeting or a phone call with some of the main members of the committee just to kind of break the ice, especially if they've not met before. And, you know, I think, it, I think it's the right thing to do, and I think it does uh, have the potential impact of lowering the, the temperature that, in the room I, a bit. I think that's true, particularly if they've met you before. It's harder to, to beat someone up that you've, you know, talked yeah. about what are you doing this weekend with. Yeah. Um, but in terms of the, the, the subpoena, uh, and in that situation, I mean, obviously, you always want your general counsel involved in any hearing, but it's even more critical to have deeper engagement from counsel's office when when there's a subpoena to make sure that um, that you understand the, the 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 best way to to be responsive. And and what I, what I would uh, what I did in those days um, was to try to be as detailed as I could in terms of the the act the active compliance that was underway and the path we were on towards full compliance. So it's very much like we received your subpoena on X date. Since that time, we've produced X thousand pages of documents in response to that subpoena. I have X hundred people working right now in the organization to um, to pull more information responsive to your subpoena to get together. And in the coming days and weeks, we will continue on a rolling basis to be as responsive as possible. Now, that might get yelled that I wanted to, I mean, if, look, you know, uh, uh, Google or YouTube Jim Jordan, Danny Werfel, and you'll see this exact thing playing out for real where, uh, where it was that type of back and forth. But again, you're not going to win every battle in these situations, but be prepared. Be, uh, your, your true north is compliance 
active compliance lay out all the various steps, the numerous steps that you're taking, both what you've done to date, the number of people you have working, the hours that you're putting in around the clock to be responsive, just be very robust and comprehensive in taking these subpoenas and these document requests seriously. And in my opinion, that's the, that's the best place you're going to be. Um, it, it, in particular, if they demanded something in 48 hours and you can't produce it in 48 hours. Mm-hmm. Well, and then there's always the there's the struggle because there's this broader uh, um, uh, fight you're having, uh, which is a, a long-standing kind of um, back and forth between the 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 Congress and the executive over what information they're entitled to. Yeah, and that's the other. That's the other thing. It's like it's hard. That's another place where you get stuck. Your lawyer or the administration is saying this is executive privilege. The, 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 mem- the Congress is saying it's not executive privilege. And that's a tough place for the witness to be in because it feels like you're not being transparent. It feel, you know, And now you're making an argument on things like pre-decisional. And it sounds, it sounds overly legal and, and technical. Yeah, and I, I felt completely unqualified to have that conversation. Yeah, it's hard to, to stay above. You know, it's, uh, it's hard to feel like you're following your true north of transparency and openness and i've got nothing to hide here we're on the same team trying to achieve better government if you're like but that what what you're making sound like a very reasonable question a reasonable request i ain't going to give you there's there's dissonance between between that true north of transparency and better government, and you say, but 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 there's good reason because better government there is kind of this notion of predecisional and privilege that is an is important part of the fabric of making the government work effectively, but in a hearing, with this in the soundbite world that we're on, it's hard to make that case effectively. Well, and I and I think that that's part of the challenge of uh, of an administration witness at a hearing is that at some level you want to just. Give them what they ask for. You want to be able to get out of there and say, well, okay, I'm clean. But you you have to recognize that you're kind of pulling the whole administration and your agency behind you. Yes, that's why maybe we should wrap up with this point. That's why on the mornings that I woke up that I had a hearing, I used to think to myself, I'd actually rather I had a colonoscopy today (laughs) or a root canal because it's just just a very difficult situation to be in because – your instincts are um, are not always in line with what the broader set of, of stakeholders and equities you need to do. And you're inevitably going to get stuck in a situation where it's not going to feel like it's going your way. In and, and, and I think at some level, the, the people holding the hearing feel that that's what the goal of the hearing is. Yeah. So, um, yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. It's, it's, I can understand why... Um, why people would be nervous about uh, that coming up, but uh, and I finally got the word colonoscopy into a goal. Oh, actually, excellent! It's excellent. Been a, well, it's been a goal of mine for a long really? time. Really? Wow! I have a list yeah, of okay. a list of things. Like if people are playing like uh, actually bingo. Yes. Yeah. Someone gets to drink. Yeah, I've got I've got a list. Maybe next time we'll. Have, remember, we were doing movie quotes. Now it's just right. like random words that I want to get. You're just going to use random uncomfortable medical procedures. Yeah. Excellent. That should help yeah. with listenership. Yes. Um, so we'll be back in December. Yes. Uh, with, a, with the holiday edition of Gov, actually. The holiday edition. <laughs> yeah. Presents for everyone. Ideas for government employees of how to spend your holiday vacation. That's right. All, All right. right, Danny. Thanks. Thanks, Dan.
Thanks for listening to GovActually. We'd love to hear from you. You can tweet at us at GovActuallyPod, or you can write to Danny at Danny at GovActually.com, or to me at Dan at GovActually.com. And if you haven't already, subscribe to GovActually Podcast on iTunes and write a review. That's how we get pushed up further and more people can hear about us. Thanks again.